Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello, welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be looking ahead to the start of the new URC season as well as looking back at all the action from the opening weekend of the Premiership. Plus, we'll be having a chat with Gloucester and Scotland fly half Adam Hastings. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Obviously a really sad week we've had over the last week, Britain and across the Commonwealth. How have you guys been faring? I'm all right. It was a bit sad actually, wasn't it? The passing of Her Majesty the Queen, her Royal Highness. And I'm not a royalist. Andrew, I'd actually think without speaking for you that I think you are maybe more of a royalist than me. I love the royal family, yeah. Yeah, I did feel a tinge. No, not even a tinge. I'm trying to be hard here. I was quite sad actually when it first happened and you're watching the news roll out. And look, you know, with the news and stuff, especially recently, it's been horrible, hasn't it? In terms of, I don't mean specifically what we were talking about. Just no news is generally good news, is it? But I think watching the news and the coverage that it's had, and obviously and rightly so, the initial part of it was obviously extremely sad and then quite heartwarming. And then you see the country unite together to come out and pay their respects and their condolences. And I think we've just seen the positive part of the UK, and you mentioned the Commonwealth, it obviously stretches further afield to even the Commonwealth, other countries as well across the world. But yeah, I think in answer to your question, if you did ask me the question, did I cry? You asked me if I cried, didn't you? Yeah, I cried a little bit. I did, I'll be honest with you. You know, she was a wonderful lady. 96 is a grand old age, and me and Goody has spent some time in a company, and my wife says that she didn't say this, but I'm sure that I heard the Queen say at Mike and Tara's wedding, that what a fine-looking, upstanding, handsome, 10 out of 10 gentleman I look. <laughs> so I've got that in my mind, that I've had a brief interaction with the Queen. And I'll just say one more thing on that interaction, being in the company. You know, when I'm a young young scraghead and stuff like that in Coventry, like, oh, what would happen? You know, like, what would you do? What if? Like, the scenario game. Oh, what would you do if you met the Queen? Oh, I wouldn't be bothered. I'd give her a fist pump or, you know, I'd shake her hand. Obviously, as time goes by and we get to the point where you do see her and not many people do or me and Goody did at Mike and Zara's wedding like I said you act all weird hello (laughs) you know and it's one of them one of the probably few people where it happens to a few people you know regardless of where you come from she had that energy she had that standing she had that grace she had that stature yeah really really sad loss and I think everyone's been feeling it around the country and dealing with it their own way and it turns out I am a royalist yeah it is very sad Uh, you know unfortunately you know when you heard the news that everyone was traveling up to Scotland to Balmoral you knew eventually some bad news was going to come so incredibly sad uh, a lady that has ruled the roost so to speak with dignity with grace you talk about leadership right there 70 years of leading a a country and a commonwealth in the way and the manner and the dignity that she did was was just phenomenal. So, and echoing Jim's words, you know, very privileged to have met her. I do remember the wedding, Jim, and I do remember when the Queen looked at you and she looked at your kilt and she went, that's not real Scottish kilt, is it? That looks like something that's been taken down off a set of curtains in the castle. So Harry said that. <laughs> Harry said that. The Queen did not say that. So, uh, yeah, listen, she was a lady of that had a sense of humour, obviously has been through 
an incredibly difficult time within her own family over the past few years for various different reasons, but has had the poise and the dignity to just continue on in her leadership role. And incredibly sad loss for the country, but like Jim says, it has united a lot of people. I should say as well, I'm in Edinburgh. It's obviously all happening up here right now on Monday as we record the Queen's coffin and everything will move down to London on Tuesday when the podcast comes out. But I've been going out my bike the last few days because just trying to get a little bit of time away from the kids because I'm not doing much at the weekends these days. One of the consensuses and the polite things to do is when you're out on your motorbike is if you pass another motorbike, it's like a nod. You just give them a nod or like the head forward, like legend. You're a legend. You're a risk taker as well. And because Edinburgh's crazy at the minute, all the police, I mean, there's more police than you've ever seen in your life. There's obviously so much going on security. They're flying past on their bikes and stuff like that. Not one of them is acknowledging me on my alley. Not one. And I'm nodding. <laughs> I'm literally nodding like a nodding dog. Nothing at all. So if any of the, I know they've got serious business and why the hell would they nod at a Scotland rugby legend? But just give us a nod, will you? I mean, we're waiting patiently for you to do everything you're doing around your security checks, but not at a man on his bike. Come on. Were you guys surprised that the rugby winner hit over the weekend? No, I wasn't. And I think it was the right decision to play every premiership game. I know, obviously, that the two Friday night games got pushed back and there's a debate as to why that happened. But you see football got cancelled and other sports put a delay on things. But actually, you know, watching the rugby over the weekend where you see the minute silence or two-minute silence at, at different grounds and seeing the togetherness of people and paying your respects. The Queen loved the sport, right? So she loved horse racing. She loved tennis. She loved rugby. She, she loved absolutely everything. And she was across the board in terms of keeping her eye on every sport as well, because that was part of her life. So, you know, to then sing the national anthem and, and see the togetherness of that, I think it was a, a better way to, to pay your respects to the Queen and cancel everything. So I'm pretty pleased that it went ahead and, and you pay your respects in that certain way. Especially after the last couple of years without going back over old ground. But if you remember her last speech during COVID was around people not being together and how difficult it's been and actually we will be together again soon and I think because of the reasons of what we've just had not that money comes into it but we've been talking about it. it's obviously on the tip of everyone's tongues around rugby I don't think we could have afforded I think that is solely what it come down to yes football have gone about it their own way and they're a multi multi-billion pound entity so I think that rugby's done it the right way because of the position that we find ourselves in financially. It also is 2022, like times have moved on from where they were years and years ago. But I think also, like Goody said then, I think we saw that, you know, the dead silence that was in the stadiums and then followed by the round of applause and followed by the, the national anthem, it's extremely powerful. And I think that as a country, it's almost something... We need, I mentioned it at the beginning when you asked me the question, Andy wrote, it feels like with all the negativity around with everything that we've had, and yes, we've now had the passing of the Queen, but out of that sadness seems to be this energy, which is only there because of how special she was and mm. only there because of sport has the power to bring people together. Mm. So I absolutely believe in answer to your question that it was definitely right for the game of rugby to have games. And I think the way they did it, the way that BT Sport, Craig Doyle, spoke about it in the leader was done with real humility passion and class well let's go on to the stadiums then let's go into the first ground exeter leicester match did you guys were you surprised how many kicks there were in play 103 in total or is that just how you win games of rugby these days goody just get the ice on the feet because everyone was hoofing it there's different ways of skinning the cat in terms of how you play the game right and you know there was a very different game between newcastle and harlequins up in the northern most part of the country on Saturday as well. But Leicester, we know how they play. They won the league last year by playing that way. They had only five players, I think, in the starting 15 this weekend that started that Premiership final only a few months ago. So they were obviously going to stick to what was their strength last year of playing a, a you know a big kicking game, winning that territorial battle. Exeter actually paid them respect and saying, when you're playing a team like Leicester that just kick it, and kick it a lot and, and play it in that certain way, you've got to kick it back and try and win that kicking battle because what they want to do is put pressure on you and force you into errors. And that's where Exeter were kicking it more than usual than we usually see them kicking it. But it's a way to try and beat a team that does that. And oh, listen, you know, you can go back and everyone wants to see 
the, the ball being chucked around here, there and everywhere and from your own try line. And we saw some tries like that over the weekend in different games. But if you look at history and if you look at the teams that win the tournaments the most, it's generally the teams that kick the ball the most. And I think they came out with a stat on BT Sport around the percentage of wins uh, in terms of kicking it over a certain amount. And I haven't got the exact stats, so I'm not going to make it up. But you look at every team that's won a major tournament, they're probably the teams that kick the most. And that's what Leicester did. And unfortunately for me and, and for Leicester fans, they came up short, but credit to Exeter. They stayed in that battle and, you know, that they ended up getting the try towards the end, shickling scores and they win, but different ways to skin a cat. It wasn't the most entertaining game if you're uh, someone that wants to see a Harlequin style, but each their own that you've got to try and pick a team and, and pick a, a set of tactics that is the most beneficial to your strengths as, as a team and as a squad. And that's what Steve Borthwick thinks. And, Unfortunately, they came up short the weekend just, but it won them a title last year. So, um, you know, different ways to skin a cat, eh, Jim? You can't skin cats. No, you can't. No, but you can shave them. And that is even more the worry because when you shave a cat, it looks horrendous, <laughs> unless you like that. You get these bold ones, don't you, that actually look cool as fuck. Actually, let's skin them all. But I watched that game and I'm a man who likes kicking. Okay, played in a system where we kicked a lot and we won a lot. And I played in a system with Scotland back in the day under Andy Robinson where we never kicked the ball and we just tried to offload and kept knocking it on and getting scrum, getting turned over and getting beat by 40, 50 points. So I like kicking, right? The issue is, Goody mentioned it there, the lads on BT Sport spoke about it. And if you look now with what BT Sport are doing now with the rugby, I think one aspect of growing the game, and we can talk about maybe Simon Massey on BT Sports Rugby tonight, is educating people. So it feels like we're being educated now on BT Sport and they're talking about stats. And one of the headline stats is what Goody mentioned around the kicking. Obviously, all the directors of rugby, all the clubs have got access to these stats, significantly a better position to talk about it and implement it than we are. And it is all around teams that kick the most, that win things. South Africa... Prime example as well, Faf de Klerk with the old box kick, the risk adverse. And that is the worry, isn't it, for rugby? Because on one hand, we're talking about growing the product, making it entertaining. And if you're a rugby first at the weekend, and that's the first time you've been to a game at one of the best stadiums in the Premiership at Sandy Park, and you're watching that, you're thinking, come on. Like, it's almost quite soulless when you're in that Jewel and it's not even kicked to compete and yes there were a few and we saw Coley getting one smashed off his forehead and Leicester end up scoring off the back of it but it's the long kicks and I put a tweet out saying why don't we reduce the amount of kicking and just cap it and you know people are coming back I like it ain't rugby league and whatever and all this bollocks but for me I don't think that that as a product is going to grow the game. Funny you say that, Jim. You mentioned Simon Massey-Taylor and the lads on BT Sport talking about how to grow the game and the commerciality of it. We spoke about it last week, didn't we? And lo and behold, you took the piss out of me saying that I'd lost my touch <laughs> commercially by suggesting that they have names on the back of the international shirts. But everyone jumped on the bandwagon, didn't they? Everyone was talking about it going, yeah, we should do that. We should do that. So what are we going to talk about this week that sets the trend for everyone to follow in terms of how to commercialise the game? It's not less kicking, Jim. It's not. It can't be. It must be. Well, I imagine this week, if Prem Rugby or the RFU or World Rugby come out and say, that, well, they won't even say because we won't get credited like we never get credited. They'll just copy what we say like, obviously, they've done with saying they're going to put the names on the back of the shirt. So I should say it was actually Drew Mitchell who said it first, but I mean... I didn't hear it. You said it last week when it mattered. Yeah, me neither, actually. <laughs> it weren't Drew. It was you. You said it first <laughs> and I've said throw money at it. And that's effectively what... They've come out with this week and said that needs to happen. So I can go down the rabbit hole if you want, because it sounds like I am blowing smoke up my own skin cat. It really does. If I talk about what we're going to talk about. but Your skin cat or your skin flute or your skin arse? Well, whatever it is. Yeah, well, it's definitely not skinned up there. But I do sit at home with an air of frustration around some of the stuff that's been spoken about now. Because everyone's talking about growing the game. They're talking about storytelling. They're talking about access. They're talking about doing things differently to how they've done. I know Prem Rugby, big shout out to you guys, are now giving us access across our video and YouTube platform to share the content to help grow the game. But for the last five or six years at Rugby Pass, when I'm trying to do storytelling, I'm trying to bring in the characters, you know, we reach out to World Rugby, not necessarily World Rugby, but more Six Nations who own the rights to obviously the Six Nations and European Rugby and these things. And, oh, can we use a bit of footage? Oh, yeah, you can if you pay us tens of thousands of pounds. It's like, well, hang on, but this is going to benefit you as an organization if we're talking about it on a 
free platform on YouTube for Rugby Pass with amazing talent in a slightly different way with footage overlaid of the tournaments that we're talking about. It's going to get much more interaction and there's nothing. There's just no joined up approach at the minute. So people are talking about access. They're talking about growing the game. Well, it needs to happen. Give us access. Uh, and, and the thing on it, and, and generally, this is our podcast, and of course we're going to push it, but we get, on average, more listeners per week than a lot of the BT sport games do, especially the Premier Sport games as well, from what they're doing over there in, in the URC. So we're lucky to have built this huge platform in, in the Rugby Pod where we want to collaborate with people to be able to grow it even further. But there's ways and means of doing it and growing it. And like Jim said, there's a lot of people nodding and saying, yeah, we should do this, no action. One guy who wouldn't need his name on the back of his jersey, Alice Genge on the weekend, how good. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and here's the thing with it. So we talked to him up last week. Jim went out there first and said that he's the best signing in the Premiership, the biggest standout signing. I agreed with him as well. And then two minutes into the game, you're running one in from 50 yards. You're a loose head prop. Like it is the absolute homecoming for Ellis Genge. He's born and bred in Bristol. We've seen the story around what it meant to him to go back to the club. Obviously, he left the club and to go to Leicester you know, where he felt he had to get away from Bristol at the time because of the people he was mixing with, et cetera, et cetera. And that story's been well documented. Leicester was kind of his education around what is professional rugby? What does it take to become how good he is now? And now he's gone back to Bristol and he is, he's up there with the best players in the world at the minute, Ellis Genji, and what he puts out there week in, week out in the field. You know, whether it be for Bristol now, Leicester last year, England, he's hard as you like. He can scrummage to the cow sheds and back. He is... A ridiculous talent, ball in hand. He stepped the fullback like he's ran one in from fifty, and then he's taken a quick tap penalty on the twenty-two and, and barged over from there. Like he is a freak show of a of an athlete, and you couldn't be happier for him in terms of the whole story around him going back to Bristol. And he's a real icon in that city now. So, like Jim says, there should be big things made of that, and you know, there's plenty of commerciality around it for for Premiership rugby for Bristol, and a story to be to be told around it. But he was phenomenal. It was a game of two halves at King's Home, wasn't it, Goody? It was. It's a classic game of two halves. People do not like that saying, but there's no better saying to sum up that game, really. Wasps flew out the blocks. I actually tweeted just before the game. So the Twins on Sunday, the Mister had taken them to a kid's birthday party. I said, no, I'm staying at home to watch the Ruggers. Mum and Dad came over. And I tweeted, roast chicken in the oven, twins at a party. I've got a glass of wine in my hand. I fancy Gloucester by eight. And then at half time, Wasps were 21 nil up. And I'm like, what do I know? I know absolutely nothing about rugby. Well, whatever happened at half time. And I've got a question to ask you on this, Jim. So you went on the bike ride with all the Gloucester boys. I joined for a little bit of it, but not as much as you, obviously. Your best mate is Ravo, the team manager. You must have been in that changing room somehow, giving them an arousing speech at half time. Because whatever was said in that changing room certainly worked, whether it was George Skivington, whether it was Alex Brown, whether it was Timmy Taylor, whether it was Jim Hamilton. Who was it? What was said? Because second half, and it turned on that Lewis Rees-Zamet try. If Wasp score then, if they go out the back, they're walking one in. Oh no, they knock it on. I think Sam Spink knocked it on. Lewis Rees-Zamet goes the length and um, yeah, a complete turnaround in fortunes. But Jim, was it you at half time or what? They just put a picture of me on the big screen. I just <laughs> sent it to Ravo. I was on my haunches. My hands on my knees, which apparently is one of the best positions to be in in terms of being an alpha. To be fair, Andrew, and we didn't speak about Wasps too much last week. That's because the Andy Goose suite has been shut down and it's moved up to the M69. I actually, when I was watching them unfold and watching them play, and you think about the injuries that they had last year and looking at who they've got back and who they've still got to get back, They've actually got some quality players. So John Ryan, he was awesome. Obviously, Launch Breeze back. Kieran McDonald's come down from Glasgow. He's a good player. He'll be a good Prem player. And then I look, there is some proper balls in that team. Obviously, Alfie Barbary, we spoke about him. Love him. I'd love to see him as a hooker. I don't think he wants to go there. I think he said that. He's got to throw nah. a scrummage. But I think yeah. he could be world-class if he wanted to do the Tom Young's route. Maybe he's too far gone. Charlie Atkinson. Class. How good is he? I, I, you've said he's good before. Obviously, Faz knew he was going to be good, so he took his head off last year. <laughs> was it the year before? Yeah, year before. I didn't realise he was as good as he was, but although people have said he's as good as he was, obviously they've got Dan Robson at nine. But you've got some balls in there. I say you. It's not you anymore. Wasser have got some balls in there. Sam Spunk Spink. My goodness, <laughs> mate. Sam Spink. You can't say that. <laughs> it was a slip of the tongue. Sam Spink. And then, obviously, Odendol that everyone was talking about yesterday on the TV. 
Crosdale, yeah. oh my wheels. He was at Saracens when I was there, and he was he had a few injuries and stuff. He was quality. Obviously, Ryan Mills spoken about him before. It sounds like you're a Wasp fan. Well, I'm not a Wasp fan. I just think we under because they've sacked you. I just think we underplayed <laughs> them last week. They haven't sacked me. Well, you know, it's a mutual agreement. <laughs> Basically, your contract's been terminated. It's a mutual agreement. You moved up the M69. But oh, I'm mate. watching them yesterday, the way that they played, and I was like, you know, Tom Cruise doesn't look like Tom Cruise. By the way, I watched Top Gun. At the weekend. You know, I come away from that both thinking, what a get sorry, just this Tom Cruise, obviously the hooker for wasps. I'm watching that film and I'm coming away thinking that is unbelievable. But I also come away, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Genuinely, that I watched that, I was like, what am I doing with my life? I need to be a pilot. <laughs> I need to be oh, God. a fighter pilot. That's what I thought. So instead, I got on my motorbike. Obviously, Tom Cruise has his helmet off on there. Not the Tom Cruise from Wasp. He might have a motorbike. I don't know. But I put my helmet back on and thought, I don't feel like Tom Cruise. Anyway, that film was quality. But Wasp understated, I think, last week when we gave a, a, a kind of overview of how the season might go. So big shout out to them. But it was a game of two halves. Gloucester. Let's be honest. You said top four. Yeah, I did say top four. But one of the things which was so good for them last year in defence... And we spoke about Chris Harris and Mark Atkinson. There was an issue in the centres. There was something going on. I don't know what. Maybe I'll ring in and find out and make sure that everything's sorted for next week. But, you know, there was an issue around defence. Generally, that Oddendale try where Atkinson doesn't know who to tackle, it's so hard for him there as a 12 because there's so many options out the mm. back, the short ball. If he bites in, they'll probably go out the back. So it's a real difficult place to defend there with the nine coming around, the extra defender. So, yeah, but they lacked a bit of bite in that first half, Gloucester, didn't they? And I'm like, geez, this could get messy. And, oh, no, as soon as Lewis Rees-Samick goes the length, they start going back to what was great about them last year, the old driving mall. That's where, Jim, I thought you must have been involved at halftime somehow, just shouting, maul them to the cow sheds and back. No, they actually, and this is quote-unquote from Ravo, the try that we scored against the Classic Lions was a driving line out first up. They put that up on the screen and they said, this is the body position. You need to get <laughs> you need to get the old boys in here. Arse is hanging out everywhere. The others. Ravo, the hollow man, we left him out and we just basically drove through Phil Vickery and his pack. And that's what they put up there. But I thought Gloucester were class that second half. Yeah. And Lewis Rees-Summit is going to get the headlines because they're the things that go viral online. And so they should. But I thought Albert Tuasui as well, when he came on Ridic. for Ben Morgan, who was injured, he was awesome, weren't he? Yeah. He's a quality signing. Val Rapava Ruskin, I've always been a fan of his. I've just questioned sometimes, you know, he looks like when he gives away a penalty sometimes, like it's everyone else's fault. I know you feel, Matt, I've been there before. <laughs> but he's quality over ball. So they've got some really good players. They yeah. really have. Their set piece in the second half was a difference, wasn't it? Wasps lost their discipline completely. You know, gave a load of penalties away, which gained momentum. But the big momentum swing was... Two minutes into that second half when Lewis Rees Summit goes the length because if the ball does go out the back, it's a try for Wasp. 28-0 is a different proposition, but that's Gloucester's biggest ever comeback from behind victory. And the thing I loved about Lewis Rees Summit, how disappointed was he when he scored the try because he nearly got caught? And there's a reason behind it. And I looked into it. Remember back when you played and someone stamped on your foot, Jim, and like ripped all your laces out, your boot? That's what happened to him. Yeah. So if you saw his boot when he was running, the laces were going everywhere and the end kind of loop on his laces had been hoiked up so far. So he's basically running with one boot on, one boot off effectively, and he's still quicker than most people in the world. Well, we can have a chat about it all now with one of the men right at the heart of that Gloucester comeback. Fly half Adam Hastings joins us. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. It's good to get the first game out of the way. I wasn't feeling as good at halftime, I must admit, but yeah, we were pretty happy with the, with the end result. It was um, yeah, it was one that we thought might get away with from us, but it was good to get the win. Oh, mate, we'll get onto the rugby in a bit. That was a big game the week before where I saw you that I just wanted to call out for the millions of listeners and people who might be seeing this. Your good self all over Instagram, I'm loving it. You look a million dollars. My last vision of you was when I was in the King's Home car park. And I don't know what was happening. It wasn't that rock and roll. You were in a Nissan Qashqai, nothing wrong with Nissan Qashqai's. And someone was feeding the baby in the back with an artificial udder. And Chris Harris was in the car. Was it Carl Moyle? I don't even know who it was. But I'm like, Adam, this is not what I've come to expect of someone that I'm seeing ripped to the chiselers and driving what I thought would be a Lamborghini, but it was a Nissan Qashqai. Just talk us through what that was, what I even saw. I'm trying to save for a house at the moment, mate. I can't afford a Lamborghini. It was just daddy daycare that day. I think it was Bill Twelve Trees testimonial, so we'd all car shared and Jordy Reed, his wee man Max, he was in the back. I was on babysitting duty, so 
I got the iPhone out and put on some, can't remember what it was, one of those kids shows. It seems to chop them up quite well, actually. It's a handy little tool, that. So, yeah, but no, not quite rock and roll. Oh, mate, Jim's just been mentioning the fact that he's got a Harley Davidson all day today. So that's why he's he's trying to bring everyone else down. I've never seen it on your Instagram. Ever. <laughs> Midlife crisis. Yeah, the coppers don't nod at you, though, now in Edinburgh. So you try and give them a nod. They're not feeling it because I've got an open helmet. So I look a lot cooler than them. But Well, Adam, let's just. Uh, Jim's to- told us all about the game. He said he absolutely bossed it. Obviously, you were there for the day. It was a great day for Billy Twelve Trees and obviously for Ed as well, the foundation for Ed Slater. So Jim's been telling us he more to the cowsheds and back. He was in charge. He gave a rousing speech to all the troops. Can you back that up or is he talking absolute shite again? I mean, I don't know about rousing speech. You'd had a few beers, hadn't you? So you might have been slurring your words. Uh, <laughs> I had a few actually the night before. It went, it went down well because the boys won. So whatever you said, worked, mate. Did we win? I don't even know what the score. I think you won. I think you ended up winning. Bill, Bill was peppering the backfield, mate. We were all laughing. It was a testimonial game, and he's hitting, trying to hit 50-22s. It was quite funny. <laughs> Apparently, Hooky was just in there handing people off for fun. But I need to ask you, talking about Hooky, he liked to sunbed. Stuart Hogg's been getting a bit of banter. Have you stolen Hoggy's teeth and whacked them in your mouth there? Because they are looking pearly white. <laughs> I just said there, mate. They're all natural. They're all natural. <laughs> I, I didn't pay for these. Yeah, he's been copping it a bit, hasn't he? Uh, fair play. I mean, his teeth before went. Um, anything to write home about so he's got a nice smile now doesn't he yeah bag of chips Adam be honest though I'm getting the impression I'm calling him the Mickey Rourke of rugby he <laughs> seems like he ain't enjoying it as much but I mean when you see the before and after what's he like in taking that banter about throwing under the grand at his looks <laughs> I mean I think I think you've got to kind of take a pinch of salt there he's got to kind of he can't get too worked up about it but my eyes, money well spent, mate. It looks a million dollars, doesn't it? He really does. It's the fact that you've got the before pictures, though. That's the issue. If they weren't there, you'd be looking at it, you'd be thinking, he's all right, this lad, he's a four out of five out of ten. But the fact that you've got the old ones, that's the thing that's doing it. I know. Before social media, he'd been sweet. But now it's just, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of photos of the before, isn't it? Jeez, mate. As Jim says, if in doubt, throw a bit of money at it and it will sort it out. You can you polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter and he has. Let's get on to the game then. Obviously, you mentioned it before, half-time, 21-0 down. You weren't so happy at half-time, but after the game, you've had a Gloucester's biggest ever comeback win. What was said at half-time? Did Jim Hamilton sort of get into the changing room via Zoom or something to chat to you boys to get you a, a better second half performance because it was some turnaround, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I think he was banned from the week before, so I don't <laughs> think he's like, No, it was a strange one. I mean, the first half was bizarre. I think, like, as a 10, I, I think I touched the ball about four times. Yeah. We had two launches that, that went to went to the floor and then I think the rest of them were restarts. And then we had one entry to their 22, maybe, um, which we could have scored off, but we ended up dropping it, I think, five metres out, but it was just weird and half-time coming in, I think we were 21 nil down or whatever. It was strange because we were obviously like, okay, we're 21 nil down, but there was a sense of calm in a way. I mean, I wasn't nervous at all because we just hadn't fired a shot and I knew we'd get a chance at some point and there would be a response. And yeah, so I think Skivs just came in and it wasn't quite the hairdryer. It was somewhere in between and just basically said, look, I think they've just caught us a bit. We were sleeping a bit almost in that first half. We we probably expected it to go a bit better. Um, you know, our two preseason games the two weeks before had kind of we'd we'd been smashing them by half time. So maybe we were just caught a bit of lacking there. And then yeah, he said he said what he said, just stick to process was kind of the main thing. We changed a couple of things at halftime with our box kicking setup and things like that. And a couple of tweaks here and there and then Obviously, Zam kind of got us going with that effort. And I think after that, we scored straight away. And then we were on then. I think, you know, the momentum was in our hands. We got a penalty straight off that kickoff as well. So we were right back in. And then the Shed fans got involved. And yeah, we were ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that seems to be stealing the energy out of rugby this weekend, and you probably heard a bit of it when you were at the Shed, you know what I'm going to say, is around the kicking. As a fly half who likes to run the ball, but there's this big play now to kick the ball especially off nine can you give us a bit of insight into we think we know the reasons why but can you give us a bit of insight as a fly half who wants to play rugby why there is so much kicking yeah well, if you, i mean firstly if you look at the stats i think i can't remember the exact numbers but usually when teams win games it's, it's teams that have kicked more and that's not necessarily kicking aimlessly it's, it's kicking for territory it's about you know squeezing teams in their own half you look at the way wasps did that to us we had one entry as i said into their 22 and you know, you're trying to suffocate a team in their own half and eventually they might try run it out and that's when you catch them, you'll get a penalty and then you can build a score or you'll get a couple of tries here and there, which which you've seen with our game. 
So, yeah, look, I think it's about picking your moments when to run. But when teams are box kicking back at you, you're getting absolutely nailed. They're flying into that first breakdown. You can't play off slow ball there. Or you're just kind of asking for it a little bit. So, yeah, that's kind of the mindset with us anyway. And I think a lot of the teams you'll have seen at the weekend. Surely on that, Hasto, is a lot of teams would have watched Saracens and would have watched South Africa kick loads. It just seems to be like the start of this season and BT Sport have made a big thing about it and showing the stats and they've spoken about it as well. Why this season? I mean, is it because it's is it become that obvious and the stats have been given to you that obviously that that is why you need to kick? In a way, yeah, I think you've said it there. I think the top four teams last season were probably teams that kicked the ball the most. You know, even a team like Harlequins, everyone thinks that you'd associate them with, with running the ball loads, but they're one of the top kicking teams last year, I think, as well. So, yeah, it's a funny one. You, you Sometimes you're playing games and you set up a kick and you can hear the cr- crowd groaning again. Oh, no, not another one. They're your home fans as well. But there is a reason behind it. There's a process. And when you get the win, I think they, they kind of understand that a little bit. And talking about, obviously, the process around it. So in training, you're going to be drilling these. And it's it's the minute details of it, isn't it? Who's in what position to chase and how hard you go. You know, I used to have to chase with Jim sometimes. And it was basically walking speed. So it was, like, <laughs> it was hard work. In terms of you've got Lewis Reece Samet, you've got Johnny May, Ollie Thorley as well. They're just doing, a lot of the time, doing these sprints. No wonder they're so fucking quick. They're just sprinting up and down chasing box kicks the whole time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can shift those boys, can't they? I mean, Zam's try was mental. He did that with a, a broken lace as well, which was which was pretty funny. But... Not a broken. I mean, we were chatting. But not a broken lace. <laughs> Is that why he was pissed off? <laughs> I'm not really sure why. I mean, when he went, when he got the ball in in my head, I was thinking, I'll try, try, yeah. And then bloody hell, Ali Crossdale's got a set of wheels as well, doesn't he? He was on his toes, and I thought, oh my god, and I I kind of buttoned off for half a second. I was thinking, oh, right, this will be 80 metres. And then he just wasn't pulling away. And I seen this big string hanging out his boot. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. He'll trip over his laces in 10 metres now. And then I'll have to hit a rock, which I love doing. But, yeah, yeah look, it's, it, the game's changed a little bit. I think it's, it's part of the, those back threes job now and those wingers. They're not just getting the ball and, and running in tries. I think this is a, a big part of their game now as well. There's a lot of kick chasing and making those hits. And So, yeah, some boys will enjoy that more than others. One of the things I want to ask you about, obviously, one of the super strengths of Gloucester last year was the driving lineouts. You went back to type a bit at the back end of the game yesterday to win it with a load of driving lineouts, and it's a real strength. George Skibbonson loved it. I played at Leicester for years and years, and that's all we did. And then we kicked it. And it's, as a 10, it's brilliant to watch. Now, we know you're an attacking 10. Do you spend a lot of time watching them driving lineouts at training as well? Do you get bored, or is it just there's our strength? Let's play to it. Uh, no, they tend to do that in, in units when we're we're over the other side of the pitch chatting about our feelings <laughs> in a circle. No, look, to be fair to the, to the big boys, they put a, a lot of time and effort into that mall and we're not complaining as a backline when that when we see that thing rolling forward, it's pretty handy and then it gives us a nice platform to attack off. A shame yesterday, we couldn't get the ball out in a couple when we had advantage because we had some good plays loaded there, but... Yeah, look, those boys put a lot of effort into it and it's a, it's a lovely weapon to have, especially when our other kind of line-out moves weren't functioning. You know, we called a few off the top and things like that and the delivery just wasn't right, so we ended up ended up not getting out to 10. But yeah, when that when that mall gets going forward, it's good. To be fair, Mark was, you know, drilled a couple of them as well and they had some good malls of their own, so it was, it was quite a good battle. Adam, a lot of teams are based on great cultures obviously I was at Gloucester for a few years I'm not saying that I was the foundations but I basically brought in the baptised drink which happens when people leave at the end of the season but the initiation at the beginning of the season the milk challenge I heard there was one player in particular maybe you can name him that was very close was in <laughs> point one of a second to do it just give us an idea of who it was come on honestly this was box office I wish this was recorded because it was quite possibly the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life so Milk challenge, for those of you who don't know, I believe it's eight pints of milk. Jim's at eight or nine? We'll round it up to 12. It's a lot. (laughs) It's bloody impossible. So cold milk as well. So you'll find with a lot of these boys, when they get kind of three or four pints in, they start getting the shivers, which just makes it even more difficult. Full fat milk. Anyway, so they got 20 minutes to do it. If you keep it down within the 20 minutes, then you don't have to shave your head. However, if you're sick within the 20 minutes, you have to shave your head. So... We had, I think, a few young lads doing it. And then Albert Tusi, the new boy man of the match yesterday, what a bloke. He was flying. So first three pints, bump, 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 just straight away. Everyone's like, oh, he's got this in the bag. He's a big human. <laughs> he's got about half a pint left to do. There's 30 seconds. So he has a little bit, quarter of a pint left. 
he's chilling. Everyone's just like, fine. Everyone else has been sick by this point. So everyone is around him, cheering him on. Noise levels start going. So we say, oh, right, we'll give you the five second countdown. You just finish off this last little bit and then you can be sick after 20 minutes. You won't have to shave your head. <laughs> so 10, 9, 8, all the way down to five. Puts it down one second and this projectile spew <laughs> of bull fat milk flies all over just about everyone within five meter radius. It was honestly absolutely brilliant. Johnny May straight in, no messing about, straight over his head, making God. I mean, to be honest, if he didn't want to shave his head, no one else was going to be arguing with him, were they? Who's the brave man to shave his head? Because he would knock people out, wouldn't he? Exactly, exactly. I mean, I wouldn't be telling him to shave his head, but no, nah, he was a he was a good lad. He, he shaved it off, and then they were straight in five minutes later for the for the photos for this season, which was which was funny. Are you enjoying it at Gloucester, Adam? It seems like there's a real class vibe down there. I mean, me and Goody have grown closer. Well, Goody's grown closer, having pitched you for relegation last year, but with everything that's happened over the summer, uh, it seems like there's a really real cool energy down there. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think when I was in talks with Gloucester and when I first joined, they were kind of, well, right before I joined, they were kind of in this building phase. Obviously, Skibbs had come in and he was putting across his culture and the way he kind of wants things to go. And then ever since coming in, you can see that he's building on that week in, week out, year in, year out. And yeah, as you said, it's just, it is a great culture and it sounds cliche, but it genuinely is a, a class group of lads. And a lot of teams will say that, but oh, there's no dickheads, this and that. Trust me, there's a few dickheads, but they're not massive dickheads. Charis is one of them. He's a dickhead, <laughs> but he's a nice dickhead. But yeah, no, look, it's just a, a genuinely good bunch of boys and the coaching setup we've got there is brilliant. You know, the way they looked after us in pre-season, I think gone are the days where you're absolutely flogged, you know, every single day. You know, they managed us brilliantly, I thought, for the full seven weeks and, and looked after us and they've, they've got us in, um, you know, good condition. We're all very set in the game plan and things like that. So, yeah, they're building something really nicely and, and hopefully we can we can show that this year. Yeah, nice. And I presume you're living in Cheltenham, not Gloucester? Yeah, living in Cheltenham. I've, uh, when I moved down, Jarry said I could move in with him for a few weeks until I found a place, but... It's been 14 months now and I'm still in this house. But I'm moving out tomorrow, actually. Oh, nice. I'm moving into Mark Atkinson. He's got a flat, so I'm renting that off him for a little bit. So, yeah, that's all good. Adam, just give us a little bit on Scotland. What's the situation? People who've been following Scotland would see Blair Kinghorn. Obviously, you'll know Blair really well. Uh, like Blair. I say, I, I think Blair's a, a great player. I always saw him as a back three player. Kind of still see him as a back three player. But he's being pushed in the fly half position. How candid can you be? How much can you tell us about how that makes you feel and how far away you are from the setup if you know or if you don't know? Yeah, I think I, I, I can't remember. Someone asked me about this right before summer tour um, about Blair and how he was getting on. But yeah, look, Blair's obviously a, one of my best mates. And as you said, he's a brilliant ball player. I think he played 10 for Edinburgh when he first started coming through and then obviously moved into fullback pretty early. And he was there until last season but um, yeah no look he's been going well for Edinburgh and I can see why they've put him there especially with the way they play you know they like to run the ball from deep I know Mike Blair he's a brilliant coach and what he's done with them is superb and yeah kind of the way he's got them playing I think suits them and Blair really well yeah I think it's good that there's competition in every position you know it's probably one of the positions at 10 where Scotland have lacked a bit of depth over the years so yeah I think that it's a good option for, for, for Scotland to have another, another good 10 there and on you, obviously, you'll be hoping to be involved in the autumn alongside Finn and, and Blair and try and push him back to fullback. You had much chats with the big boss man, Gregor Townsend, over the last few weeks, or is it just head down, play for Gloucester, play as well as you can and hope that, that call comes? Um, yeah, no, we had a chat. We had a chat last week just about how pre-season's gone and things like that. They were just checking in, as they usually do. So, But yeah, I think for me, at the start of this season anyway, it's just about focusing on Gloucester week to week and the old cliche, you know, play well for your club, you get picked for your country, so... That's what I'll be looking to do. All right, Adam. Thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck for the rest of the season with Gloucester and hopefully in the Autumn Internationals as well. Top man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Adam. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Adam. Thanks, mate. Top lad. Top bloke. Good looking boy as well, isn't he? Like, I don't want to just say he's a good Well, he's, a... he's throwing it, yeah, yeah, but he's throwing a bit of money at it as well, so it's hard. It's hard to <laughs> yeah. see. He hasn't. He said his takes are real, mate. He's a good player, isn't he? And I think the whole thing around when Cipriani left and he was coming in, I think they had to, they have to wait a year for or a while for him to come down from Glasgow. 
good signing for Gloucester. And, you know, you could see him being there for a long, long time and building the club around the likes of him and some of the other younger guys there. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see him back in a Scotland jersey as well. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Let's take a look at the other premiership games now then. Sale still got a fair few players to come back from injury, but they blew Northampton away, didn't they? They looked pretty good. Obviously, Manu was back for them. They flew out the blocks, went into a big lead. Northampton, who I've tipped for the top four, I might need to take that back, you know, because their tight five got absolutely destroyed. And their tight five, they play a great brand of rugby saints at times, and they, they came back towards the end and scored a, a fair few tries to get the losing bonus point. But their tight five got absolutely smashed to pieces in that first half. Sale were physical, big. The Dupree boys were just going around smashing people. And it, it seemed like the best of Sale was still there in terms of what we've seen where Faf's played and played quick. You know, they had War at Scrum Half who hasn't played too much, but it didn't seem like there was a step down really. So it, Sale looked good at home. Saints slow out the blocks. They did fight back to, and they've got, you know, decent players. Furbank came off the bench and made a couple of breaks, did well towards the end. Slight home on the wing and, you know, it was... Too little, too late, really, for them. But yeah, they got absolutely smashed. Credit to Sale. They, um, you know, they've got a, still got a fair few players to come back that'll improve them even more. They look like a force to be reckoned with this year as well. It was a high-scoring affair in the northeast, but Quinn's just managed to edge it, didn't they? I might need an early apology as well. I mean, that's how crap I've become in my reviewing and previewing of teams. I said that Newcastle came out and they want to be the All Blacks of the northeast or the northwest. Just say the north. Just say the north. It's Sale North, would you say? It is North, yes. isn't it? But it's not as North as people think, like Newcastle's North. Sale's Northwest. Effectively, it's Midlands, eh? <laughs> Let's just say it's the Midlands. <laughs> so Newcastle want to be the All Blacks of the North, and I'm laughing. I'm laughing. No chance. Just give it to Nathan Earl, my old piece, is all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> They've signed Obatoyimbo as well. Elliot Obatoyimbo. Say that. I've said it about 100 times because I commentated them. They've signed him from Saracens as well. Look, if you're Newcastle... I think that that is the way. I know I mentioned it last week. They might struggle. They've not signed anyone. Dave Walder's obviously the boss now. Dino's gone upstairs to do a bit of fishing, a bit of shooting and signings or whatever he's going to be doing from up there. You may as well throw everything at it. Do you know what I mean? You may as well just say, fuck it. We've got an artificial pitch. There's no relegation. Let's go for it. And against Quinns, or a team who likes to throw it about, the contrast, what we got in that from what we got, not being Ash, but Exeter Leicester, which you could say is... The polar opposite end of what the table will look like. We're saying Quinns are going to finish in the bottom three, are we, Andrew? Well, <laughs> mate, mate, I'll put Quinns in the top four, mate. What are you on about? I know. But if you're going to grow the game up north, you want to see games like that, don't you? And as the weather will be closing in in the next couple of months, get your tries out there, big fella. But credit to both teams. And Harlequins, obviously, are a quality team as well, through gritted teeth. A quality team as well. 
and can score tries from anywhere. Mate, the Adam Radwan scored mm. an absolute worldie. But but this is you know it's classic. You need to know when to play and how to play because he like whenever he touches the ball, it's electric, right? He scores an absolute worldie. Skinned poor old Tommaso Allen or Tommy. Are we calling him Tommaso or Tommy? Well, I think we'll call him Tommy after he got skinned. <laughs> It'd be Tommaso if he would have tap tackled him. Yeah, I felt sorry for Tommy Allen because Radwan's done him in about a yard. He'd have done me in about five centimetres, to be honest, down that touchline. But that's one of them where, like you, as in you pull up, like you think just cramp, <laughs> cramp. So all the stud, all the lace. Yeah. Because it's you're damned if you do. You don't want to go near that bloke. It's almost like just fall over. You yeah. probably look better falling over. Yeah, but to be fair, Newcastle did well. It's always a tough place to go up there, first game of the season, especially. And Quinn's started to get their foot in the game and Tyron Green scores a good try. They play some lovely stuff, Quinn's. You know how they're going to play. That ball out the back, the fast-paced game. You know, they're missing a hell of a lot of players as well still. The likes of Marcus Smith to come back in, Danny Kerr as well. So good start for them. Really exciting. I think Newcastle will be frustrated. They could have won the game. About seven minutes to go, I think it was. They were... I think they were leading at one point with about six or seven minutes to go. But then there was two tries towards the death. And the last one, Radwan's trying to run it out from five metres out from his own line. Tries to force an offload to Tate, who's tried to close in to clear the ruck out. Offload goes to no one. Quinn's pick it up and score in the corner and they've lost the bonus point as well. So, yeah, high risk, high reward for Newcastle. But that's how to entertain. And you certainly ain't going to win a league like that. Although... Quinn's in a couple of years ago, but it's it's good fun to watch Newcastle because anything can happen. And out of that game as well, Alex Dombrandt was class again. The big talking point will be this season going into the World Cup. Billy's obviously got the number eight jersey, but Dombrandt every week rocks up, doesn't he? Yeah. He was quality again. Yeah, yeah, really good player. So what I'm trying to do, big shout, just, just a shout out to Dombrandt. That's, <laughs> it. That's effectively what I'm trying to do here. You're a Quinn's fan again. Some of them, I like some of them. Worcester fulfilled the effects you're at London Irish, but the battle isn't on the pitch at the moment, is it? Mm, you could say. They, they they were there. They turned up, and it must be bloody tough for them. Yeah. Regardless of what anyone says, we obviously had Steve Diamond. There's stuff coming out today around potential buyout, but they need to go into an administration for a consortium to take them over. They're seeing this, they're reading this. And to be fair, I know I mentioned London Irish, not that they struggled this year, did I, I might have said that. You did say that, Jim. You did. You did say that. Did I? Okay. But you don't want to go to a London Irish who can play ruggers. You know what I mean? You look at the players that they've got in terms of attacking play and they got off to a flyer. And I suppose any kind of hope that you'd do anything. I don't know what the mindset was going in for Worcester. Is it a case of just turning up, doing the impossible, like Dimes said, and winning the game? But it was always going to be tough, wasn't it? Let's be honest. And I think fair play to them for turning up. But I don't know what you can get out of that game, really, in terms of the two teams. Obviously, that Worcester could potentially struggle, but they haven't played any pre-season games. They've done no contact. You know, London Irish scored a bucket load of tries. Were they tested? I'll answer the, the question. They weren't. Credit for Worcester, I suppose, for, for rocking up. Yeah, I mean, you can only beat what's put in front of you, right? So London Irish did some good stuff. Arundel is absolutely class. Again, I mentioned Radwan before, just talking about he's electric when he touches the ball. Same with Arundel. Ollie Hassel-Collins as well. He was strong, burst through a couple of tackles. He was score. good. Yeah, good, very good. And they've got that Irish. What it's about is consistency. And also, you know, when the weather does turn, as Jim said, they've got to be able to do it in all sorts of weather conditions. But credit to Irish, they beat what was in front of them. Credit to Worcester, you know, you can't even imagine those players. We had Steve Diamond on, but you cannot even imagine those players and the staff, how tough it's been, you know, to plan, to train. You know, even last week, I know Dime said the game would go ahead, but there must have been question marks around whether the game would still go ahead if the, the you know, you go in as trainer, is there insurance? You know, am I covered for that sort of thing? Is and, and you just cannot put yourself in the headspace of those players. So they'll get better. Of course they will as clarity comes, but you just desperately hope and that new owners can take over the club and whatever has to happen does, but the, the future of the rugby club is secure to get rid of these owners. And I say that because they cannot continue as owners of Worcester. And I know Steve Diamond said last week around, you know, he hopes if it's these owners or, you know, they sort their cash flow issues out or the other owners. Well, I'm just going to throw something out there. They're selling Morecambe Football Club because they failed the fit and proper test to be owners in the Football League. So if you failed that in the Football League, you should not be owning a rugby club as well in the Premiership. So hopefully the new consortium, one of the options takes over as quickly as possible and that will give everyone at Worcester some clarity, some security and, and hopefully they can build on that throughout the season. But uh, tough start for them. But credit to them for sticking at it. I'll tell you who's not going to struggle. Leinster and the URC. Are you guys expecting the same from them this year? But They just fell away at the end of last year. But 
they should be there thereabouts, shouldn't they? Well, they'll be there or thereabouts, but saying that they didn't struggle, I think the thought was from everyone that they were still going to win the URC last year, or at least be in the final. It would have been a, a one-off game against one of the big South African teams. Now, we're talking about Prem Rugby. I think the URC, the rebrand and the timing for them has been so right that it feels right and that it is right. I think with what they've been through with the complete rebrand, I was unsure about, and I still don't agree with everything, I still think it's a really difficult league to understand the separate kind of plates and stuff that they play against, the little conferences that they're in, the fact that some of the games overlap with the time that the South African players are away or obviously they can't play because they've been away. So I still think there's a few things to work through, but in terms of a format now, and they've had the foundations last year to build through that and COVID messed up a lot of things and they had the Rainbow Cup that never took off, but I like the look of the URC going forward now. And the fact that the South African teams have come in, shaken up Leinster <laughs> effectively, you know, and the Irish teams who are so competitive, there's a good energy around that. I think the fact that Leinster have been so comfortable four years prior to that winning it, it is making everyone rethink around it. So I'm excited for the URC this season. The big question mark is going to be around the Welsh teams. Are they going to be competitive? I know we spoke about the Dragons. I spoke to Dean Ryan a couple of weeks ago as well. You actually look at the Dragons team. They've actually made some good signings. Ross Moriarty's back fit. Tame Basham. Look at you. Look at you. You've been abusing them for years. And now just because you've had one conversation on the big gym show with Dean Ryan, you're like, they're going to be really good. They've got this player. They've signed him. They're my favourite Welsh team now. They've got Rob Evans. We like Rob Evans. We do. And his brother absolutely schooled you neck in a pint of Guinness, didn't he? So, so we are so easily manipulated. It is embarrassing. But I think the big question is going to be around the Welsh teams being competitive. We know the South African teams, you mentioned Leinster there, Munster with Wigsville at the helm, there's going to be pressure on them to perform. We know that Ulster are going to be good. You know, Connor are a feeder club. I'm not, I'm joking. They're not a feeder club, Connor. Connor always perform and bat above their station, in my opinion. The Scotland teams, Glasgow have had a few changes. Franco Smith's now in charge. They've changed their captain. I don't imagine they're going to come straight in and set the world alight. Edinburgh, Bill Matt is going to be back at number eight for them. Magnus Bradbury's gone. You know, you, hopefully Hamish Watson will be fit. I know I'm spitballing across the board here. I'm trying to give you a kind of lay of the land. The big thing is going to be is how does it look while South Africa is still playing in the championship? They're obviously not going to have access to their top players. And then you put in the mix as well that the South African teams are now in the Champions and the Challenge Cup. They're in the Champions Cup, the good ones, and how they're going to manage that experience. But I think the URC, as a competition overall, the marketing strategy that they've gone, people are questioning the Qatar influence around it because of the ethics that are involved in that. I ain't getting involved in that. Just show us the fucking money. <laughs> throw money at it. But I like the URC now, whereas before, I was like, I can't really work out where this is going. But for me, if you can throw a cat amongst the pigeons now, if you're allowed to upset pigeons and make them feel stressed out in 2022, that's effectively what's happened in the URC. So I'm excited about that competition because I think it adds a layer of excitement towards the Champions Cup as well, which is a different competition. But in terms of the energy around the league, it's definitely significantly higher than it's ever been. Jeez, Jim, you're all right. You're really positive about the URC. You must be an ambassador. You must be on the comms all the time. Like, what's what's happening? Actually, on that, Andrew, you know that I'm not on the comms. I've actually cut back on a little bit of work at the weekend. So I'm not doing Premier Sports this year. I'm doing a few games. I'm going to do the Christmas games. I've got a game on a Friday night, a Glasgow game. But yeah, I've cut back. I just, the travel. I can't. Look, I'm giving people my life story here. I can't travel. As much now. I want to go to a farm, Andrew. There you go. I just want that. But the interesting one, and Jim summed it up really well there, not a lot to add except for, you know the South African teams are going to start slow because they haven't got those players. The Irish teams are going to do the same. I think there are loads of them were down at Pete O'Mahony's wedding in France over the weekend. But there's a World Cup next year, so Ireland have never had a better opportunity. And this is what you've got to think about throughout the season. They've never had a better opportunity to try and win the World Cup. They haven't ever got past the quarterfinals, have they? Now, They've beaten New Zealand away. They're up there with France as the top two teams in the Six Nations at the minute. So they're top team, top two in the world at the minute, as it stands. A year out from a World Cup, how much is Sexton going to play in the competition for Leinster? They're going to have to wrap some of their big stars in, in, in cotton wool. And it's a fine balance between getting enough rugby 
so they're sharp for the international game, but also not flogging them because there's a World Cup starting in under a year's time now, isn't there? So it's really interesting dynamic in that league this year, how it all pans out. And basically, Jim and I think Dragons are going to win it. I jest. The Dragons ain't going to win it. Jim and I, we are Stormers fans. They won it last year. We had the big man, John Dobson, on the podcast. He loves life. He loves the pod. He got the championship ring, as he called it, for the URC. The Rock Nation were there. Jay-Z probably handed him a, a cheque for five million quid for winning it. Actually, it'd be Rand in that country, wouldn't it? So, yeah, we're Stormers fans. We just want the invite out to Cape Town, don't we, Jim? Well, I might have fucked up here, lads, because I've basically... What? Well, yeah, I know. I've been trying to get Jake White on the podcast today to give us a preview off the back of them winning it for the Bulls. And obviously, they didn't win it, but I've completely... <laughs> for- I know. I forgot. <laughs> so, he must think I'm taking the mic. Oh, Jake, Jake, congrats. Hold on, let's clear this up. Have you been messaging Jake White saying congrats on winning the the URC? Can you come on our podcast to preview it? <laughs> and then they've lost the final. Fire his agent. But that is it's Dobson who's done me. So John Dobson, get me on, lads, get me on. No, mate, you didn't win it. You didn't win it. So now he's gone quiet as well. So now we've lost both of them. <laughs> you absolute mug. Oh, God. John Dobson, if you're oh. listening, just come to me, mate. I'm the brains of this organisation. Oh, Jim, you haven't. What? What a shocker. Jim, can you play us some of those voice notes? Yes, Andy Rowe, I will send you the ones to his agent who has... Well, he has it. He's come back to me and just said, Jake's not available because he obviously thought I was taking the piss. Jim. So hang on, let's just clarify this. These are clips that you've sent to Jake White's agent congratulating him on winning the URC last year. Craig, how you doing? Apologies for the impromptu voice note. It's Jim Hamilton, one of the greatest Scotland players who have ever done it. My Uncle Hamish said... Load of bollocks, if you ask me. Uh, I got your number off John Dobson. He said that you are the agent or carer of Jake White. Uh, I do an interview series on my podcast, The Rugby Pod, called The Big Jim Show, and would love to maybe chat to Jake if he's up for it, maybe this week, just ahead of the URC, obviously winning the championship this year and South Africa ahead of the championship. Anyway, can you let me know what Jake says if he's keen? If he's not, mate, Dobbo is chomping at the bit to get back on. So I would love to give Jake first refusal. Uh, anyway, let me know. Have a great Sunday. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> My God, Jim. I mean, talk about, you know, there's obviously a, a bit of beef between John Dobson and Jake White. And you're like, congratulations. Congratulate Jake on winning the URC. Um, can you come on my show, the Big Jim show? Mate, what the FNL have you done? <laughs> Credibility is in the gutter right now, James Hamilton. Blame my agent and blame the producer who does me notes. So not you, Tristan. We're blaming Rob. <laughs> oh, my days. Deny, deny, reaccuse. I love that, mate. I cannot believe you've congratulated someone when they lost the final. Fuck you now. Oh, God. We'll just have to get Naz on instead. Come on, the dragons. Right, well, let's finish things off with the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think we found our bad for the weekend. Uh, I might have to change this up a little bit, but we'll start off with the good. We're going to start off over in France. Uh, La Rochelle, Sir Rog. Let's call him Sir Rog. Ronan O'Gara's team, they won away at Lyon at the weekend, so they've started pretty well. The Mighty Breve got a victory at the weekend. They won away at Perpignan with a bonus point, James. Did you see that one? No, I didn't see it, no. Luckily for me, I always look out for my old teams, all their results, see how they got on. Breathe were the only team that won this weekend because Leicester lost, Worcester lost, Wasps lost, Newcastle lost, Sharks didn't play, Saracens didn't play, they're my old team. And uh, yeah, so Breathe got a win, so they get a shout out in the good this week. Over to the Premiership, George Martin at Leicester Tigers, I was watching him at the weekend. My God, that boy can bang. He can absolutely tackle with the best of them. But some of his stats from the weekend, 27 tackles he made, more than Jim and I combined in our whole careers. So uh, big shout out to him. It was a losing team that he played for, but George Martin was absolutely massive. Sticking with individuals, Henry Arundel got two tries off the bench for London Irish. Pretty special effort, one of them as well. Adam Radwan Man, as Jim likes to call him. He absolutely rinsed a couple of the Harlequins boys up the touchline, scored an absolute worldie. So, well done to him. Lewis Rees-Sammer, he scored a hell of a try from 95 metres, let's call it. A foot race. He was devastated when he scored it, though. He thought he was too slow. But, um, yeah, a hell of a try from him. That turned the game for Gloucester. Talking about Gloucester, Jim's team. I'm a bit of a closet Gloucester fan now as well. I'll keep mentioning that until they accept my apology for saying they'll finish bottom of the league last year. But uh, Gloucester got their biggest ever comeback victory in the Premiership. They were 21-0 down to Wasps, and they ended up with a victory there. So, uh they get a mention the good. 
We talked about World Cups earlier. We talked about Ireland. Well, they finally won a quarterfinal in a World Cup. And that was in the sevens at the weekend, Jim. Did you see that? I saw Greg O'Shea was doing some stuff and I saw Brian O'Driscoll getting absolutely slippered responsibly in the stadium. So I saw the content around. Hey, talk about the growth of the game. They're doing it for me. Whatever's happening at the sevens, I'm seeing everything but the sevens, but I did see the result. There we go. Yeah, Ireland won a quarter final in a World Cup for the first time ever at the sevens and they also won the bronze medal. So massive shout out to those boys. Australian women's sevens team get a mention of the good this week. They won their World Cup in Cape Town and Fiji. Unlucky Andy Rowe. They beat... New Zealand in the final as well to win the World Cup of the men's tournament. In fact, New Zealand lost both finals. They lost the women's final and the men's final. So chins up, son. But the good this week goes to a man that we talked up last week and we've talked him up this week. Uh, Ellis Genge's performance for Bristol's on his return to the club. A hell of a sign-in. He absolutely delivered. 12 carries, 71 metres made, seven defenders beaten, two line breaks and two tries. A real hero's performance for the Bristolian for his new team, the Bristol's Bears. Well done to Ellis Genge. Hero. The bad. There was only a couple of bits of bad, but now there's... Four bits of bad, James. Uh, we're going to start off with the two Premiership games this weekend that had no TMOs. The two Friday games got pushed back to Saturday, including Sale against Northampton and Bristol against Bath. No TMOs at all. All they had to do was pick up the phone. For five and a half grand, I'd have been there. A load of biscuit, actually, sod the money. For the biscuits, I'd have been there. There was no TMOs at the weekend, which wasn't great. Wasps get a mention of the bad this week. 21-0 up at halftime, uh, and they lost their discipline and the game giving 15 penalties away in that second half. So uh, not good from Wasps at all. They get a mention the bad. Racing 92, James, get a mention the bad. Took all their superstars. Obviously not Virumi Vakatawa because unfortunately for him, as we mentioned last week, he's had to retire on heart conditions. But uh, Racing took all the big boys. They had Finn Russell. They had Cameron Wockey. Gone down to Bayonne. Just promoted from the Pro D Der and lost. French. So French. There we go. So Racing get a mention in the bad this week. But Jim, I'm going to have to stick it on you for letting down our podcast. Jim Hamilton, you're going to get the bad this week. You have been sending voice notes to the agent of Jake White, congratulating him on winning the URC. He either thinks you're taking the piss or you're absolutely clueless about rugby. It's probably both, Jim. It is absolutely both. But for you embarrassing us on the podcast here, on the Rugby Pod, Jim Hamilton, you get the bad this week. I'll take it. If he comes back on, I've totally redeemed myself. So if Jake White comes on, you put me in the good. <laughs> there we go. And then two bits of ugly. First and foremost, Niall Annett. This didn't even happen to you, Jim. He got sent off on his debut... Before even stepping harsh. foot on the field. It's not arse, Jim. You can't do it. You can he do it. There's a brawl that kicked off. It was hardly a brawl. Well, the problem is he's ran in from 20-odd metres to separate people and hold people. Like There's no brawl anymore. It's all pushing and shoving. But it goes back to that extra against Saracens game. Do you remember uh, a couple of years ago when Harry Williams had been substituted and there was a bit of a fight that kicked off when Billy said, I'm a grown-ass man. And it all kicked, it all kicked off. And uh, Harry Williams ran in from about 30 yards to sub- separate a fight and got sent off. So precedent has been set. Niall Annett was on the bench for Bath, didn't even get to go on the field, got sent off before he got to go on the field. He has apologised on social media, so that was pretty ugly. But the ugly this week goes to Elton Yankees, who was sent home alongside Zenat Simji, who is the Springboks team dietitian, as there has been reports that they were having an alleged extramarital affair. They took a hotel room together. They were shouting at each other, apparently, in the middle of the night, waking up the local guests. What do you mean, shout, shouting at each other? Well, I don't know. It's just reports that I'm reading online that uh, they're obviously having a bit of a row in their hotel room in the middle of the night, which woke up guests. So it's all come out that apparently they've been having an extramarital affair and they've been sent home from the Springbok camp. So not a good look. It's not the first time Elton Yankees has got himself in trouble, is it? Well, allegedly it was room 69. That is what they're saying, <laughs> but we need to wait to see the report. We just do. I mean, what go. is it with that number in them rooms? So. There we go. So Elton Yankees, you get the ugly this week. Cheers, Goody. And Jim, you've got a shout out to finish off with, don't you? Yep, I have. And it's for friend of the show, absolute legend, like this bloke very much. It's for Ed Jackson, who has been doing some unbelievable challenges in recent years. And there's one coming up at the weekend. Andy Rowe, Goody, if you want to challenge yourselves by walking a significant distance up and down some stairs. It sounds simple. Well, it's not. So they're going to call it the Twickerest Challenge. 
Now, you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll get it in a minute because it's a lot of walking Andy wrote. Yourself and Goody can get involved if you want. They'll be climbing the spiral ramp at Twickenham. It starts at 5 o'clock on Friday evening and finishes on Sunday at 5 o'clock as well. And it's 48 hours non-stop to try and reach the height of Everest. Get it? Twickerest, Everest, Twickenham. I see. Embed the two. Yeah, so it's not an easy challenge, but Ed Jackson does not do them easy. And he's encouraging as many people as possible to come and join over the weekend. So local rugby clubs, people who live in the area, people with their dogs, I'm sure you can carry them up and raise more money if you carry them up because people think it's more weight. But they can take on their own challenge and do the equivalent of the stairs of Mont Blanc or whatever they want to do. But get down there. They're raising money for the 4Ed campaign through Restart and Ed Jackson's charity, which is Millimeters to Mountain. And they're going to have a base camp. There's going to be music, food. There's going to be beer, lads, banter, and ladies' banter. If they goes hand in hand, doesn't it? Ladies, lads, beers, banter, music. But it's all going to go off. People doing great things. There's going to be wheelchair access as well. So the challenge will be open to all abilities. So head on down to Twickenham on Friday and get involved with that and support two fantastic people in Ed Jackson, but also for Ed Slater as well. Yeah, and I've got a shout out to Chris and Jen Reed uh, and a load of their friends who are undertaking their second annual cycle ride known as the Teddy's Wish bike ride this Sunday, the 18th of September, uh, in and around Beaconsfield and the Chilterns. Unfortunately, they lost their son, Edward Reed, at three months old to sudden infant death syndrome. Uh, and they've set up Teddy's Wish, which is a charity to help and support other grieving families and to fund research into the causes of baby loss. So... If you're in the Beaconsfield and Chilterns area this Sunday, then please join Chris and Jen or support where you can at teddieswish.org. Chris is a big old Pauline's rugby club man and the whole family are involved down at Beaconsfield Rugby Club. So a shout out to everyone that's taking part in the bike ride on Sunday and all the best. Thanks, Scooty. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, producers Tristan and Robin. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod.